hello listeners um i debated on recording this a little later because my voice is still a little shaky uh the verdicts came in on derek chauvin and he was found guilty on all charges um there's so much relief in that to me because it was so important that he was found guilty i um I don't even know where to start, and I'm not going to get too far into it. But the trial of George Floyd showed trauma that has occurred over generations. There was the collateral damage, too, of the people who were hurt by his death. The people who witnessed it, and who are still trying to forgive themselves for not doing more. The people who tried to do something. His girlfriend. The people who have just been constantly hurt by violence against black bodies. Then there were people like me who listened to the body of George Floyd be put on trial. What was in his system? What drugs had he taken? And then it trying to be proven that that is why he died and not this person kneeling on his neck. We are more than the contents of our blood. I lost my brother years ago. I'll be talking to a guest who I met through an organization that I work with now, Shatterproof, who works with people and their families with substance abuse disorder and who does things to try to change laws and make legislation and change the standards of care and things like that. They're an amazing organization. But when I listened to that and kept hearing that he wasn't perfect and things like that, that was no reason for him to be murdered. So, I don't know. I just felt like when I was going to record earlier, I realized, well, I better wait until after the verdict. And I just decided I might as well just record it now. Um, I'm, I'm glad that, <laughs> I'm glad this verdict happened. I, I really hope that the people in Minnesota stay safe, the people around the U.S. and around the world stay safe, and that this death of George Floyd will result in real change. It has to. Um... This guest, my guest, has um, is awesome, and I think the rest of the podcast will be more uplifting. So, I I don't have a problem though having given this time to this because it was so important. But uh, going to the guest this week, it's Mariana, who I actually met in London, which it's unusual that I've met anyone in London over the past year. But we met at a comedy gig, an open mic. And she performed, and I thought she was really funny, and I performed, and she thought I was funny, I think. I don't know. She still talked to me, whether she did or not. And we just connected, and I've followed her online on Instagram, and she has a podcast that I'll be on pretty soon, which I'll definitely share on social media when I'm on there. But she does all kinds of stuff. I mean, she does all kinds of art. She's a photographer and a comic and a writer. And she used to be a biochemist. So I think she's interesting. And I think 
she's a really great and inspiring guest and i'm really happy to present this chat with you and we have some fun we laugh and we get into some serious stuff and i just this is the exact guest that i was looking for when i was starting more than work all of them are but this one this one really um was a fun one because it's someone who's pursuing art and i think that people who are brave enough to pursue creative passions always i just admire them because it's just something i i've always been afraid to do and and up until now when i'm doing comedy um also i'm gonna be doing a solo show like i mentioned so i'm gonna be doing some zoom gigs for that some previews and i i just want to mention that because i will be posting everywhere and i hope that maybe there's a listener who doesn't know me and hasn't seen my comedy before but i'd love for you to come so just keep an eye out for that um yeah, let's just let's just uh, start the show. And um, thank you for being here. Thank you for listening. Welcome to More Than Work, the podcast reminding you that your self worth is defined by more than your job title. I'm Rabia, an IT project manager, comedian, nonprofit volunteer, and sometimes activist. Every week, I'll chat with a guest about pursuing passions outside of work or creating meaningful opportunities inside their workplace. As you listen, I hope you'll be inspired to do the same. Hey, everyone. Well, this week I have someone I actually met in London when we could be outside and meet people in real life. We met at a comedy gig and... We've kept in touch over time. She has an awesome podcast, so we'll talk about that. And um, she also does some really great creative stuff. So I just want to get into it with Mariana Feja, comedian, photographer, and writer. So, hey, Mariana, you want to tell introduce yourself to the More Than Work crowd? Yeah, hi. Um, I'm exactly who Rabia said I was. <laughs> and I guess we'll get into, like more uh stuff uh that are not necessarily defined by the fact that i'm a comedian a writer and a photographer which is true but yeah that's that's more to me than that (laughs) (laughs) yeah we'll find out so i think so yeah when i say you're all these things comedian photographer and writer it definitely makes me think of someone who's just spent their whole career and life being creative but you actually did start out as something completely different, which was a biochemist. So I guess the first thing is just kind of really, how did you get involved in that? And then eventually, how did you transition out of that? Yeah, I think there's uh, some differences between Portugal and the UK in my perception of it. Uh, so if you're listening, and even in America, I have the same perception of this particular thing that I'm going to uh, describe mm-hmm. after uh, I stop rambling. Uh, <laughs> there's like a specific thing that I think is different. In Portugal, you won't be able to do to work on something you haven't studied for. And creativity or like the creative industries don't really, don't offer a, a safe, job which it doesn't either in the uk and in america i guess it's not no, not safe to be a creative person but you can do then other things to to help you live a life and have money to live a life um 
around it that don't necessarily need to be connected to what you've studied at school. Mm-hmm. So I, growing up, loved cinema and wanted to work in something related to cinema. And I didn't know because... I'm 35 now, so when I 20 years ago, I didn't know there was more to um, making a film than being a director or a writer. And I thought I couldn't do that. Or I thought there were so many people wanted to do it, wanting to do it, that I would have to be exceptional to be able to have an opportunity in that field and I didn't know you could be like an editor a sound person all those other things that you can do in a film set that maybe if I did know existed and that there will be more opportunities to work in cinema than those two of writer director I might have pursued it but at the time I didn't know that I thought it wasn't safe and I loved maths and science Mm-hmm. as well and studying science seemed like a, um, a secure job I tried to get into medicine because that was even a more secure job only to do research because I didn't want to be a doctor I wanted to do research but being a medical doctor makes it easier for you to do research mm-hmm. Um but I, the, the grades to get into medicine in Portugal are very high and I didn't have them. So I studied biochemistry and I finished a master's in biochemistry. And then after a while, I got a little bit disillusioned because there's no money to do science. Uh, you have to apply for grants after grant after grant. Um, and also the other thing that I found is that uh, you both, start getting like super specific at what you are studying. So that joy of science being this thing that I could have like a really broad knowledge of animals, the human body, bacteria, you end up getting so defined in what you're studying that you lose that joy Mm. of all those things. And also the fact that, you won't necessarily discover a cure for anything <laughs> mm-hmm. in your lifetime. So you may be working for like this specific thing that you will never finish. Mm-hmm. So you don't get to see the result of your work. And that became boring to me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's just kind of, so did you end up for what your focus ended up being? Was there a specific part of biochemistry or were you doing something that was like research for a cure for something or what focus did you end up having? I was working in cancer research. Oh. Um, so yeah, I was my latest, my, my last project was to figure out the pharmacological um, abilities of some chemical compounds yeah. And no, they, none of them are being u- currently used to cure cancers. <laughs> so it was, yeah, futile at some point, right? And then yeah. that's interesting, Interesting too, with the joy of it was taken out. And I mean, I think that can happen in a lot of careers. You think you're going to start out doing one thing and it ends up just changing for you. So do you think that, like, did you think about going into another field of science or did you just kind of 
get out. I mean, at that point. No, I did uh, think uh, to to go back to that joy of like the whole of science and communicating science, which was something that I thought was important and making like science um, interesting for other people, which today I've just realized that today that's even more important because people are denying science. So Mm -hmm. having good ways of communicating science and making people understand what goes behind backstage in science uh, might be important. So I wanted to do science communication and that's why I moved to the UK. And science communication is like uh, whatever, like museums, science museums, magazines can be science communication. So yeah, it's communicating that uh, the science to the layman person. So did you end up, that's really, first of all, like, That's really cool, especially when you just think about the pandemic we've been going through and just how people perceive different information and even handled. I mean, even if you look at the communication we've gotten has been so disjointed. Right. And so as an American, I'll often look at American news and the news here or the sources here and just kind of pick and choose who I want to listen to, I suppose, Mm -hmm. which I think everyone's really doing. We all have access. But you can see the importance of communication. So when you first moved to the UK, then did you start doing the communication kind of role like in science? I was trying to, (laughs) because yeah, I moved here without a job uh, and I moved to to the UK because I thought, because yeah, science communication doesn't exist as much much in Portugal. So I thought I will have more opportunities here. I started applying for jobs, but most of them wanted me to have a PhD or at Mm. least there was someone else with a PhD that was applying for the job. So they, they got a job and I didn't. And that's how I started like experimenting with other things first by volunteering. Um, And I started doing like, I volunteered for a film festival. So I started getting involved, involved in event production and that's how my life started changing away from science. So that never that love of film never went away, basically. Exactly. So so yeah, the first thing I've done, yeah, when I had the opportunity to do something, I had time. So I thought I'll volunteer. I looked for film festivals because yeah, I still love film. Is there just kind of and I don't I don't get very linear here, so is there a film director that you love that specifically inspired you in the first place or directors or writers? Um, I don't know, like about inspiration and I'm very, I like a lot of uh, directors, but there are uh, two things that came to mind. One of them is uh, Pedro Almodovar, the Spanish director. I was hoping, I was hoping <laughs> you would say that. I love him so much. Okay, go ahead. I love him. And I've recently realized, because, yeah, uh, I'm queer and I came out, or like came out to myself, discovered myself as a queer person. Like late, I was 28 or 29 when I realized that I wasn't just straight, which is what I thought until the time. But then I also realized, not then, uh, that was a recent re- realization that Amadover was my was my queer education as a kid. 
mm-hmm. uh, and that not only about like sexuality that he does, he has a lot of characters who are uh, LGBTQ in his movies, and it's never about that. They're mm-hmm. just they just happen to be the community that exists in that reality that is, that he is setting up in the movie. So yeah, that's like, and I I watched those movies as a teenager. So I think that made me accept that that's a real reality of Mm. people. And it was, yeah, I think that's the important thing. It was the important thing. It was never about the fact that those characters were queer. They just existed. And I, yeah, and you don't see that that much in, maybe you start seeing that a little bit now, but usually if you have like a queer movie, it's about the fact that people are queer. Uh, especially yeah. like in the more mainstream stuff, and I'm just rem- remind- remembering the last lesbian movie with Kirsten Stewart and Kirsten Stewart, not Kirsten Stewart, oh. is it Kirsten? Yeah, it is. <laughs> that Christmas one, yeah. yeah, yeah. Which is about them being le- lesbians, right? And it's yeah, and that same story of coming out to your family that we've seen many times before, and it's not yeah. even um, original anymore. Yeah, just have people be people and living a life. I feel like Schitt's Creek did, which Dan Levy's in both <laughs> the, yeah. the Kristen Stewart movie and that one, but Schitt's Creek did a good job of really that they were just people and kind of yeah. taking that away. But yeah, I know exactly what you mean, and um, yeah, and like Pain and Glory, the Almodovar film, like yeah. that one just kind of just destroys you when you're watching it you know because that was the most i think autobiographical for him from what i understand yeah. and yeah so no that's an awesome person to not inspire you <laughs> and it's also like i don't know it's all very colorful and uh even the movies that are not like necessarily a happy story it's very colorful everyone is super energetic and happy and i like that and i think Growing up, I was very, I don't know, a lot of uh, stuff with like body image and all of that mm-hmm. made me want to not be seen. So mm-hmm. I would wear dark clothes and also like, yeah, I wouldn't fit into clothes. So I'd have to buy the more bland stuff. So I will wear very dark clothes and always be like, not be loud, not uh, yeah. call attention to myself but i think that was never who i was and now like i'm always co- colorful and i i don't know i think i'm probably i probably talk too much and people <laughs> are just are tired of me already but yeah that's like i think uh his movies are are inspiring for that as well because everyone is very happy and colorful mm-hmm. and then did you have a second person because i interrupted you because I wanted yeah. to talk about uh, Yeah. Uh, the other thing is more like it's not a person, it's a movement, and it's the Italian neorealism. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, yeah, if I were to pick one, I'd say uh, Federico Fellini, but all the neorealist movement is great. It's like, <laughs> it's dark and depressing, uh, but it's great. But also, 
yeah, I did pick Federico Fellini just because it was the name that came to mind. But it's is actually his movies, the ne- even the neorealistic move, move, movies that are that talk about poverty and like, yeah, people kids living in poverty. There's always like some happiness or joy to it. I'm remembering Amarcord, which is one of the ones I really like. That all the kids have this fantasy life as well where they look at the women and are happy to discover their sexuality as teenagers um and there's it's not colorful because uh they're old movies so they're more subdued Mm -hmm. but it's still there's still color to it and another one which is actually black and white but it's um la strada the road i guess in english um which is super depressing, super depressing, but it's also about two carnies. Uh, so there's like uh, drums and performance. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's a very sad story, but told with some pizzazz. Yeah. No, that's cool. So have you, well, so I guess, so you came to London, you were going to try to do the science communication, you ended up volunteering at film festival. Did you at any point, try to make a film or did you ever get that far? Or did you end up just like kind of going into the writing, but for other things? Yeah. I've never tried to make a film. Uh, and I like, I play around now with uh, filming stuff and learning how to edit uh, what I film. So maybe one day I will take that into making a short and not only like a sketch, so yeah, that's still something that maybe one day I'll do and I'm learning like skills, but yeah, it's not like the first thing in my, in my mind. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so did the photography, is that something you were always doing or have you learned that since being an adult? Uh, that was something that I've always been curious about. Uh, and I've always sort of, yeah, I always followed like photographers and was super interested in composition and all of that. And then uh, still as a teenager, or at least my early 20s, I did like a, co- a photography short course. So I learned how to use a manual camera. Um, but I've also only started doing it more seriously after I moved to London, mostly because someone gave me someone I like a lot if they're listening <laughs> gave me uh, a camera that uh, made it possible for me to do more things with photography what so kind they of gave me a, a DSLR camera and I had like a, a um, yeah I didn't have such a good camera uh, mm-hmm. that I could do proper stuff with well, yeah, and I couldn't afford the DSLR cameras. So yeah, that present was great. Yeah, the equipment makes a difference. Even though like now we all have some sort of phone in our hands that does amazing mm-hmm. stuff. It's still, there's something different about having a real camera that really is built yeah. to be a camera, not to be a phone and a text thing and whatever with a camera, right? But it's true so- that in the f- past, like, five years or six years, the phones have also become something crazy. But yeah, five years ago or six years ago, when I was given this camera, the phones weren't as magical as they are today. 
Yeah, but I think I'd be kind of angry if I hired a photographer and they showed up <laughs> like a couple iPhones. Oh yeah, this one yeah. I do. <laughs> Low light. This Have you seen? There was this like Twitter uh, thing about his photography from like a, a an important. It's not Variety, but it's like one of those magazines. So even a bunch of celebrities were photographed next to the same tree in a street in LA clearly with a phone and no like reflector lights or anything and it's also boring and it's all from this photographer who just probably told people to come to his house we'll shoot outside my house you can see the cars behind <laughs> the people and like it's horrible bother like editing no a beat <laughs> i've done that like to my sister i'll be like oh yeah and i'll find a <laughs> I I mean, and just I'll find like a cool like a plant or something yeah. in the yard. And, but I mean, it looks nice for like one family photo, but not for like if everyone, you know. Yeah, <laughs> like all of like the Oscars yeah. photos are from that tree in that <laughs> magazine. <laughs> That's so awful. All right, so I kind of took you, I kind of forced you off your path. So what I'm curious about is at some point you realize science isn't going to work out even this communication idea. Yeah. So when do you, do you end up happening? Like you happen to get paid for something and then you just kept doing it or how'd you transition into the, I'd say writing first, unless you did comedy first, but otherwise I would say, yeah. What, what did you do first and how'd you transition? I did do comedy first, uh, but yeah. So uh, science communication never happened and I started doing like vo first volunteering for this film festival but also doing like other jobs for money that like I worked for a lettings agency I did market research uh, which are things that I'm happy I'm not doing anymore uh, <laughs> so yeah that was what I was doing for money between while volunteering for stuff that were more um, exciting for me like the film festivals and that first film festival I volunteered for which was the East End Film Festival that sadly is no longer uh, it was a great team of people they liked uh, my work that was like another thing because you feel a little bit like an imposter right for me that always believed that I needed to study to do something I started doing things that yeah it's not difficult to do admin and like my first role in that festival was to be the guest liaison so I what I had to do was book flights and hotels like draw maps to people, meet them in the airport and be just like a friendly person around a film director. Um, and that's like, that's not difficult, right? You don't have to train yeah. to do that, but it's always a little bit like, oh, am I the right person to do this? Uh, so the fact that these, these people believe, <laughs> believed in me and thought I was like, also as a shy person, being like the guest liaison is uh, was also like one of those jumps, but I thought I was friendly and um, could like hold conversations with people. And wouldn't be even though it was uh, a festival festival for first di first time directors, so no one was super famous. 
Mm-hmm. And I also knew I wouldn't be the, like that person that would, hey, I really want to hang out with you because you're a super cool person. I'm just going to bother you the whole mm-hmm. time you're in London just because I want to be near a film director. So the, the next year around, they hired me for money. I, it was no longer a voluntary pr- position. Um, and that's how I started doing more event production, so not comedy. Um uh, <laughs> And I still do event production and I also started doing social media, which I still do for like work, um, for day job and comedy ended up happening because I met a guy (laughs) and Mm -hmm. he did comedy. He did improv comedy and I started watching, um, improv shows and I saw this particular uh, show in London at a, a festival that I ended up also working at a comedy fest, an improv comedy festival. The year after that, I worked for that festival and I worked for it for two years, I think. Um, I saw this improv duo from New York, mm. um, which was Anthony Atamanik, who's uh, Comedy Central's Trump. And mm. um, what's his name? Is uh, one of the villains in Ghostbusters, the other guy, Neil Casey. Uh, it was Anthony Tamanik and Neil Casey who do, or who did, because they don't do that anymore, the two-man movie. So they improvised a movie, just the two of them, and it was beautiful. It was so fast-paced. It was an action movie with, like, I don't know seven characters that they played the two of them sometimes like four people inside the car and they will play all those characters it was wonderful um yeah they are really fast and i thought i want to do that Mm. but i also thought i will never be able to do that because how can they (laughs) like create a movie a whole plot just the two of them uh like live in in the moment, not written down. So it took me after after that, and while like, yeah, I watched like improv for a whole year before taking a class. Mm-hmm. But someone told me if you like it so much, why don't you try it? And I'm like, oh, because I won't be good at it. Yeah, what's what will happen? Just to try a class, no one will. <laughs> Yeah, uh, it won't hurt you. And that first class, a lot of people laughed at what I was doing. So I <laughs> so got it, it got me. I never left comedy again. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. I, I've done improv. I've tried it. I've done two classes, and it. I found it very hard because of the the use of my body, you know, and I wasn't comfortable enough to do it. I think, but it was a really cool experience. You have to think fast, so. What's your favorite thing about improv? I think like the I I think my favorite thing about improv is the listening and reacting which I don't think everyone like there's a lot of people doing improv that aren't good at improv and I'm not saying I am but I think those two those two skills are very important in improv and I think a lot of people don't listen but I think that's what I love about it is the fact that two people are more but two people are creating something together so you need to listen accept and react to that person mm-hmm. and you don't have like because there's the this will I'm going too deep into the nerdiness of improv, but there's like the yes and thing. Yeah. But you don't necessarily need to say 
yes as a character, which is so you don't need if someone offers you something terrible and misogynistic, you can actually say no to that person as a character and tell them to fuck off, which is something <laughs> you don't know from the beginning uh, while you st- while you are a beginner improviser. But yeah, I'm going off on a tangent because what I like is the fact that you listen and react. Yeah, and that that is funny you mentioned the yes and because you'll see like on TV or something when they try to show improv, the, like there's always this ridiculous yes and, yes and, yes and yeah. in, in, interaction where it leads to more ridiculousness, but not really good. It's just silly. So yeah. it's good once you are empowered to know like you don't have to be necessarily complicit in everything you you know the idea is like you don't say they they don't say to you oh let's get married and you go no because we're in the middle of the ocean <laughs> you know that that's like the thing you can't do right yeah <laughs> you can't destroy the yeah you can't destroy <laughs> the reality but you can you can't say no because we're in the middle of the ocean but you can say no because my dream is to is not to get married and have kids so you can like build a story for yourself right uh, and I remember what I was going to say, which was because you said uh, you didn't love it because you weren't maybe as comfortable in your body or whatever. Mm-hmm. And I, when I started doing improv, there's this like famous improviser as as much as improvisers can be famous because it's such a like uh, um, weird community of nerds. Uh, Billy Merritt, who has this theory of the robot, the ninja robot no sorry uh, what's the other thing pirate pirate robot ninja <laughs> so you can be a pirate a robot a robot or a ninja in improv um and his theory is that most people will either be a robot or a pirate and some people are able to be the two and be a ninja and i think you usually start as one of the two because it's what's more, it's what's easier for you. So the robot is the more uh, analytic person who's thinking of the like the forms and what to say next and what will be nice to do in the next scene. And it's always thinking in their head. The pirate is just someone that comes in and does a, something silly that someone else will have to justify. <laughs> and then the idea is that you can be the ninja so you can do both things you can be analytic and at the same time come in with a very big silly thing i started as a robot i was very analytic i was it was harder for me to use my body i used my words more than my body um, and while doing it i gained more of that piratey feel to it i would play animals silly things uh mm. that i needed to use my body for um so I also like that about improv that it makes you widen who you are in a way. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think I think it's really cool and I just think that when cuz you described those guys doing that movie together basically the two person movie but essentially just people who learn to communicate so well with each other that they can work together in that way is great too yeah. cuz I can think of like some people you don't communicate well with and then trying to do something like that would be pretty <laughs> difficult. Yeah. Some of the worst things I've done in improv, <laughs> which are great in a way, but are like the improv jams where you, and I used to run a jam 
so I had to do that thing of making the people, everyone look good, right? Because that's what you want from a jam is that it's supportive and everyone will look good, even if they're denying every offer at every corner. <laughs> and that's like, it's it's not it's not a horrible experience because it teaches you so much. It teaches you to react and to build up on things that are not good. <laughs> but it's really hard. It's really tiring. And it's, yeah, it's one of those things that I don't know if I do again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sometimes those things aren't that, that fun in the end. I mean, they're challenging, but you've kind of done it. So you don't need to do it again. I've done a few yeah. things like that where... Well, now I've done it. So move on. Um, so, okay. So right now you're doing social media work for work, but then also like the writing, like what other kind of writing are you doing besides that? I write comedy stuff. It's what, uh, mostly what I do with my writing, but I also like do, um, if I can, I, I think I can't cut. Ca- I can't call it journalism because again, I've never studied for it. And I forgot that I did have do a stint as a tech journalist. I used to review technology for a oh, while. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> I for, totally forgot about that, but yeah, I still like uh, do some uh, more articles like reviews and interviews and stuff like that. So where do you publish them or do you just, do you get hired to do them or do you just shop them around after you do them? Um, I do like review a lot of reviews for funny women, but then mm-hmm. I shop around for other stuff that are more like essays and stuff. Huh. That's cool. So you're basically just putting it together, the different aspects, the creative aspects while you do your job, essentially. Yeah, I sometimes, yeah, because I, I like, I like all the aspects of it, even though like, I don't necessarily love social media and the fact that that's what I'm doing every day. <laughs> um, I like the the aspect of creating different things. So I, I create graphics, I edit um, video, I do photography, and all of that can inform each other each other creatively mm-hmm. and also like different kinds of writing because i do the copywriting for social media and stuff like that and yeah it's knowing how to have a write for different brands i think is also useful for even for writing comedy because mm-hmm. you it's all of that communication thing that helps one informs the other and all all help each other. Yeah. I mean, that's, what's cool. I think is that you have this job that kind of marries all of the things you like to do separately for your creative role, but, or creative work outside of it. But then you still have that where you can get paid for doing some things you love doing, just not necessarily for that purpose, you know, all the time, which is fun. So does it help? Like, do you think, I know they inform each other, but does it help you? Like the fact that you're in a creative space for work a lot of the time, does that help you at night or weekends or whatever, when you're working on your comedy and maybe other photography, or does it ever like drain you in a way? Like, how does it affect that? I think it 
depends, right? There's days where, yeah, it's totally okay. I can't, I can't even be at the computer anymore. Um, mm-hmm. So I won't even write anything. But there's other days where it's just it just feels like you've been in that space the whole day, so you can just keep on being in that space. Mm-hmm. So I know this doesn't like I didn't make a choice. I just said both of them happen. But yeah, that's that's yeah. I think what happens. Uh, I mean, I know, I can see that that happens to me. Like some days I'll be at my desk from about nine a.m. until midnight. And it's just a matter of me switching between computers. Like, well, work computer's shut, personal computer's open, I'm I'm doing it. And some days, which is why I'm behind right now on some things, I'll just go sit on the couch and I just won't be able to sit here any longer. And like, there's no part of me that wants to be creative because I gave all my energy somewhere else, you know, and I just don't have it. So, yeah, I... I think it's a fair answer for it to be both. <laughs> yeah. And I think it's it is like um a question of energy, I guess, cuz even in a less creative job, you you're still using your energy, so it's your energy the thing that mm-hmm. gets depleted even whether it's a creative job or not. Yeah. Yeah. I do sometimes do need completely to because I only have a laptop, which is my work laptop and my life laptop. Uh, and sometimes I can't even watch like a series on this laptop. I do need to just shut it. I don't have a TV, but I have like a, a tablet. So I just watch stuff on the tablet, which is like a smaller screen and everything. But I just can't look at this specific computer anymore. Yeah, yeah, it completely wears you out. Well, so then you also do some other things. You have other hobbies. So first of all, like one thing that made me think, yeah, well, I wanted to talk to you anyway, but then thought about it more. It was like listening to you on your podcast. I just thought, oh, yeah, it'd be cool just to hear to interview you rather than hear you interviewing all the time. But so let's talk about your podcast first, because when did you start it? Like I started mine in October and it was a long time coming. Some people think it was a pandemic project. Really, it was me thinking about it for a year or two and not doing it and finally but how about you how do you come to do yours and what's it about very similarly i've started it in august i think that's when i launched the first episode Mm -hmm. but i had been planning it for a year or more and i had like the ideal plan the like the um, the questions the plan of it it was all all done uh but i haven't done it yet i think i've even designed the logo um, but it was all sitting in my computer for one day when I have time to, or when I feel like, yeah. And before the pandemic, it was very much, I'd have to invite people to come into my house to record because I have like mm-hmm. mics and stuff. Um, and I thought that one that, that might be uncomfortable because I won't necessarily always invite people I know. I won't record in the living room because it's bigger and I have flatmates. So I'll have to record in my room. <laughs> and that's also <laughs> weird to just invite someone in, into your room. <laughs> uh, so yeah, I always kept delaying it, delaying it, delaying it. And then the pandemic happened. And still during the pandemic, it took me from March to August to actually go through with it. Yeah. But yeah, the fact that I can just um, invite people to jump on a call with me on the internet makes it 
way easier because uh, you're not imposing so much on someone. Also, because like I, I'm just asking people to be on my podcast. I can't pay anyone, so it's not like I'm offering work to people. It's just hey, do make do me a favor and come have a chat with me. And it's easier when that person doesn't need to stand up for from their desk. <laughs> and go yeah. somewhere else across London to talk to me. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's way it's way easier to do it this way. Um for me too and like yeah, I'm the same amount of paying someone. Someone actually I was just talking to someone I don't know if it's happened to you yet where they go, "Oh, we're only speaking to people with a bigger audience. So let us know when you grow." And I was like, <laughs> that's so bad. That was so petty. I go, "Okay, I'll let you know if I'm still interested." <laughs> because like then don't i mean it's fine but it was just such a like then you're not what i'm aspiring to if i'm if it's audience dependent and i have like a list of yeah. other people <laughs> uh, i don't know why i'm yeah, saying that it's... on my own podcast but they, they, they don't listen i mean they're not listening for sure but yeah, yeah i mean it's it's interesting though yeah but that that's like um because my my original I don't know. I don't even know what my original intention from having a podcast was rather than just try to do something, something mm-hmm. else, some some other way of doing content. And you ask me uh, what what it's about. It's about bravery. And the reason I chose that theme, I had been thinking about doing. OK, I know why I started a podcast, because I love podcasts and I listen to podcasts almost like the whole day. And the ones I like best are the ones that are like a conversation between two people mm-hmm. uh, that sometimes make me feel like I'm a part of the group and I'm also inside the conversation and I'm friends with those people and I know that's not real so I'm not I'm not a crazy person that uh, thinks they're friends with their favorite podcast host no <laughs> I know that's not true uh, but that's like what I like about podcasts so that's what I wanted to do I wanted to have conversations with people some people like people I know people I would like to know better people I don't know but I find interesting so I knew that's what I wanted to do but I in order to have a podcast I needed to have a hook right so mm-hmm. I spent a lot long time thinking what it should be about I ran through other ideas that I can't even remember anymore and then after an event that I ran I catch and caught an Uber with someone that was who's um She's been like a commissioner for the BBC. She's now um, a script editor. Uh, and I've worked with her a few times and we're friendly uh, with each other. And we caught an Uber together just because we live close to each other. And I had talked to her before about wanting to do a podcast. And she started talking to me and she started... Uh, so what what is something that is specific to you? Like you're Portuguese, you live in the UK, can that be a thing? And I'm like, I'm really, I'm more open to doing like that sort of uh, comparison now or like working on things that uh, are related to the, the fact that I am Portuguese and I live in the UK. But that's not something I wanted to like build a brand around because I yeah. think that's just boring. So she kept like pitching ideas. <laughs> And then one of the ideas she pitched was 
No, one of the things she said was, you're really brave, so maybe it's something about you being brave. And I'm like, I'm, I'm not brave. Why do you think I'm brave? And she said the reason she thought I was brave. And I was like, okay, cool. I don't think that is brave. But maybe there's something there because we clearly have a different perception of, of what being brave is mm-hmm. or what you think that in me is brave. And then I went to, I kept like, ruminating on that idea uh and there's like the podcast festival in london mm-hmm. and i went to like a um a class with them that a cast ran uh, and it was all about like developing our idea and whatever blah 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 and i pitched my idea and people liked it uh, so i thought okay cool that's an idea and this was so yeah i've had this idea for more than a year because then another yeah. podcast podcast festival happened and i went to see one of my favorite podcasts which is black man black man can jump in hollywood and i got to chat to the people the hosts afterwards and like the wife of one of the hosts and i pitched my idea and she went like crazy about it and i thought okay cool i'm going to do it and then again i waited for a long time a pandemic hit and i finally did it but that's why i chose that theme uh but yeah, my the, the thing was I just wanted to have conversations with people. And yes, sure, I want people to listen and I want the podcast to be uh, successful. Uh, and that's why I'm, I want a hook. Otherwise, I will just record conversations with people about nothing. <laughs> I think it changed a little bit through the pandemic because I don't care as much about the audience even though I want it to grow and I want to I don't know to be able to maybe one day uh, make money from it but um, but it I think during the pandemic it became more uh, more than just having conversations with people who I find interesting it became more about connecting with people while isolating yeah, that makes sense. And I mean, because you do, I mean, we're having a conversation that's going to be on a podcast. So it's a little bit meta to talk about that, I guess. But I think you do connect with people differently. Like I found that every one of my guests so far, I've gotten almost emotionally invested in their story or some aspect of them, mm-hmm. which is really cool. So yeah, and with yours, with the subject of bravery, and first of all, like you picked a cool name that I had to look up. I was like, Oh, I didn't know that means brave. So um, that's cool. So yeah. And I want you to plug it totally right now, but also like, has your idea of bravery changed or do you appreciate yourself as a brave person now where before you were denying it? Cause it was almost like a compliment the lady's giving you. And um, yeah, I know one of my friends will hear this and he will know I constantly deflect compliments. I mean, that's like, a, and you did that. So yeah, just all that. Yeah, that I, I do. I do like constantly deflect compliments I, all the time, and um, a few people who I'm closer to keep uh, calling my attention to to, to that. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'm more consciously trying to accept uh, compliments, even like something like, "Oh, your dress is really nice." I always say something like, "Oh, yeah, I bought it really cheap on a second hand." <laughs> <laughs> so now I'm just I'm learning to say thank you enough i mic down i don't need to say anything else um and yeah with bravery totally it changed my my perception of it because 
also inviting people to tell you why they're brave when I think everyone will say they aren't or a lot of people. I was telling this like to a guest the other day that I need to find like the cockiest, cockiest person to come on my podcast. The only person that will tell me, yes, I'm brave. I'm brave all the time. I keep on doing brave things because that's not uh, the usual person. The, the usual person struggles to think of moments where they have been brave. Uh, so I had to start reframing it f for guests and mm -hmm. asking them to tell me moments where they've been out of their comfort zone. And then even while we're having a conversation, I will uh, double down on the fact that what they're telling me is really brave. Um, even if they're telling, oh, I don't know, maybe one day I did this that I wasn't very comfortable at, and I will reframe it, try to tell them, yes, yes, it's brave. Or like think of things, if they're people I know, well, think, think of things they have done that I think are brave and tell them about it. And that made me start looking at myself <laughs> through those same eyes. That idea that you're always nicer to your mm -hmm. friends than you are to yourself, right? Yeah. So it's that same idea of trying to think about that. And then at some point during the podcast, um, I started thinking of ways to start of starting it or doing an intro and I started by like just uh, replicating the intros of my favorite podcasts that are very silly and nothing to do with mine but that ended up making me think of a way like uh, a specific way to start my podcast which is starting with something brave I've done the week before that's now mutated to even like something brave I've done in my life because sometimes that week, I think uh, I have done nothing. And actually, the I think it was last week's episode. I just said that I hadn't been brave because uh, that also happens. <laughs> so, and I also ask people about moments in their lives in which they haven't been brave. So I think that intro now can be something brave I did or something I didn't do because I was afraid of it. And I also think that, like, I don't know. Again, it's my podcast, <laughs> uh, and people will tell me whether that's true or not, but I think having these conversations, it's cool to make people think that they're, that they're doing really cool things with their lives, even when they think that maybe it wasn't that big a deal. Uh, um, yeah, it's something cool that you've done, and that maybe changed your life because you just did something a little bit uncomfortable. You've discovered a huge thing that now is like a big part of your life. Mm -hmm. And yeah, the podcast is called Doughty and the name, uh, <laughs> I just use thesaurus and <laughs> try uh -huh. to find uh, synonyms for brave. And I had never heard Doughty, but when I read it, I, it reminded me of donuts. So I thought it has to be, <laughs> it has to be Doughty. Yeah. It's D O U G H T Y. And, uh, well, I think what's cool about that, too, and I mean, it's similar to what I'm trying to do here. It's not the same, but just having conversations, telling people stories or letting them tell their stories, but through some kind of guidance way. Right. And then I think the impact of the listener is they start to think of themselves, but not the thing that happens that feedback I've gotten the most um that's I don't consider positive feedback, I guess, is that it makes people feel bad because they haven't done X, Y, or Z. Mm -hmm. 
and the point is really to make people go, oh, I can do X, Y, and Z if I want. And I feel like with your podcast, and I think what would be cool if, for people to do is like everyone listening right now, think of something, think of what you think brave is and something brave you've done. And you probably have. And I think people don't realize like those minor things, those things they do in daily life can be brave because they took a chance or a risk or something. And so um, what do you hope people take away from your podcast? Like, I know what I take away from it, which is like, oh yeah, I hear people do some cool stuff and it either reminds you of something I've done or it's just like, wow, that's really cool. And I just have respect for someone. And yeah. So what do you hope people take away from yours? I've realized through time that, that this happens to guests or cause some of them end up going really deep into their lives and like rethink everything they've done. And the first time someone told me that I was like, uh, okay, it's just a podcast. You don't need to like take it so seriously. But then it's really cool that people are, are doing that. So like, I think listeners, it's also a cool thing for them, you to do. Uh, but I also like the idea that I also think happens, which is if someone is saying I was brave or I am brave because I cycle in London, which I think mm -hmm. no one has said, because that's the thing I think they're brave about. But if some someone says something like that, I am brave because I cycle in London. You're listening and you cycle in London. You will. You never thought you were brave, but you, okay, cool. So that's something people think are brave is brave. So maybe I am brave. Yeah, that's true. And I cycle in London, but I think it was. Actually, I think maybe it's brave to cycle here, but not as much during the pandemic, but stupid to cycle in New York, which I used to do. Like at some point, it's not brave. <laughs> I think as someone who hasn't cycled in any of the, of the two cities, like in traffic, I've learned how to cycle three years ago. So I'm not like a confidence person to cycle. And that's part of the reason why I don't cycle. But I think New York is seems better to me because there's better paths to cycling although i have known people that have had real i was ran over mm -hmm. by a bicycle in new york so you know oh wow <laughs> yes yeah see so my my counter to that would have been all yes and pedestrians are always in the bike lanes <laughs> but i wasn't i was crossing the, the street on a green light and i heard someone screaming look out and i looked and there was a bike on top of me so, oh my god that's awful yeah well anyway <laughs> <laughs> so yeah it is it's, well it's brave i think just being in new york you're just kind of <laughs> you know that's the whole thing like the whole everyone in new york or who travels in and out of there every day millions of people are brave doing that <laughs> it's hard <laughs> so you have some other hobbies that you do um and <laughs> i know i've capo capoeira I didn't say it right. That was perfect. Yeah, you did say it, say it right. Yes. <laughs> yes. What is that? So it's it's a Brazilian martial art or dance. It depends who you're talking to. But it originated with uh, African slaves in Brazil that um, were um, forbidden to fight because you didn't want slaves to know how to fight, right? Uh, so they started disguising the the fight with dancing so they'd sing oh. and play instruments and also like one of the um, the characteristics of capoeira is that it's a mostly um leg-based martial art so it's mostly kicks 
And that's because people were shackled, so they couldn't use their hands. Um, and it was like a, a forbidden thing from the Brazilian government until like then, like for a really long time. I don't know if it was forbidden until the 70s or the 90s, something like that. And now it's like a national sports thing. Uh, and people are, yeah, it's mostly because there's a lot of racism in Brazil, like in everywhere. But yeah, uh, because it was like a street fight, the government didn't like it. <laughs> so how'd you get into that? I mean, that... so because... Uh, like I've only known about I've only I've always known about capoeira because I'm Portuguese and we're very close to Brazil so we know like a lot of their cultural things and I always thought it was really cool because there's a lot of acrobatics to it mm-hmm. and there's music and singing so it's like it looks fun but I also always thought uh that I needed to be in shape in order to do capoeira uh so I never actually tried it uh but then again, uh, I met someone who was a teacher and uh, I tried a class because also he told me that I didn't need to be in shape to do it. I get in shape by doing it, mm-hmm. yeah. which is obvious. <laughs> but I don't know. <laughs> I had someone had to tell me that for me to understand it. <laughs> and now I've been doing it for, I don't know, five or six years. Cool. So how often like is there a big scene of that in london or in i mean there are a lot like it works a lot by like there's different groups and there's different uh styles of capoeira uh but there are like a lot of groups in london and i'm part of one group but we also like get nicknames and it's super cool <laughs> i'm my nickname is uh, morango which means strawberry um because i get red while exercising i get red all the time but special especially while, while exercising uh-huh. uh, <laughs> Uh, but yeah, it's like I used to, before the pandemic, we had like three classes a week. Um, oh, wow. And during the pandemic, it's actually because I don't know if that happens with all the capoeira groups, because uh, I think some of them will be more like going to the gym. But my capoeira group is a group of people who like each other and um care about each other and worry about each other so during the pandemic they've been maybe the most constant people uh, mm. that I've uh, had contact contact with who are not like family or really old friends uh, we try to keep doing capoeira like outside um, we're like do zoom stuff all the time um, and yeah <laughs> we are in touch with each other and it's like a, a kind of a family as well. Yeah. So that's good. It, it's like a way to have community with other people. Yeah. And then swing dancing is another hobby of yours. Too. Yeah. And that was like, uh, <laughs> that was maybe the first thing Because like, uh, I have like some body confidence and body image issues, uh, that, uh, plagued me for, for a long time. Uh, and also that, that idea of doing something out of your comfort zone. Uh, I think, I think swing dancing was the first thing in all these things 
before I did comedy or before I did capoeira. Swing dancing was the thing I decided to try and do out of my comfort zone because I liked dancing and I thought I'll try it even if it sounds really scary to <laughs> dance with someone that will have to like, you know, you touch each other, right? While dancing. Uh -huh. I, I don't like my body and whatever, but it turned out to be great. And also that idea, because I had tried other dancing classes. Like I tried tango before mm. and tango is very like strict mm -hmm. and people have to touch you in a like specific way and you have to be like straight your posture needs to be really straight yeah and that just like seemed Sounds... sort of boring and swing yeah. dancing you're just like relaxed and don't even need to touch each other that much <laughs> <laughs> and you're like you're not that close to your partner in like lindy hop which was the thing i did more mm. of um because there's other types of swing dancing that are a little bit closer together uh but yeah it's it was great like it gave me some freedom uh yeah dancing gives you some freedom the 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 action of being like moving through like a whole song just moving and having someone because i i like being the follower more than i like to lead so yeah having someone just throw you in the air or something like that is a really nice feeling it feels like flying and it's yeah and because that was successful it led me to then try other things that were out of my comfort zone with less fear because yeah swing dancing ended up being cool and there was also some community which i think is hard to to find in london Uh, mm -hmm. But yeah, I, I would go to this class where the same group of people would go. And then I started going to um, social, like, social nights, so social dancing nights and like jazz nights in London. And it's always, you always recognize someone in the crowd. So there's always familiar faces. Um, I did like become less of a regular Once I started doing comedy more regularly, mm. because gigs happen at the same time as the social night dancings, the uh, night, the social dancing nights. Um, but it's something that I've been, yeah, missing throughout the pandemic. And that I think that once we go back to life, if that happens, uh, I will make a point of having that be part of my life more. Mm. Yeah, like, so having so many interests, and I, it's not, and just to be clear, it's not any kind of criticism or anything, just because I do also, like, I have a bunch of stuff I'm doing as well. How, and I think other people listening might, like, have you found a trick to finding balance for all that? Or do you just kind of still struggle with that yourself? I still struggle with that all the time. Um, I, before the pandemic, I... Mostly, I think my friends were the ones that <laughs> weren't getting my attention because I was always busy. Uh, <laughs> so I guess those, they were the ones that missed out. And also like swing dancing because it it is the only thing. Capoeira also is, but capoeira is different. Mm. <laughs> I don't know why. Uh, maybe because I'm there's more of a community of people that I actually like. I want to see every week, and in swing dancing not necessarily uh, 
but it's like the only thing that's a pure hobby that I don't want anything else right from it. Uh, so it means that if I have to choose bef- between going to um, a gig or dancing, I will go to a gig because that's work that's important and just going and have having fun is not important. Yeah, though that makes sense. Um, so did we cover everything that you would want to talk about, really? Or is there anything else you want to share? I think just like that idea of balance, I think that's maybe there's very little positives about the pandemic. Uh, one of them, I think... And it's like, again, it's a tangent. One of them is that I think we've realized that we can make things accessible for more people if Mm. we use the digital space. So please, if you're listening and you're like a producer of live uh, events, keep that in your mind because you can do both when we come back to real life. Uh, another one is like the the possibility of connecting with people that are far away, like doing a podcast and talking to someone in LA one day in, I don't know, I mostly talk to people in LA, New York and London. So maybe I need to <laughs> expand my, my reach as well. Uh, but it's like cool that you can do that because everyone is has a lot of free time and the internet exists. Um, but the other thing is that you kind of reassess everything that you were doing before and what are things that you actually miss? What are things that you wouldn't care if you didn't do again? So I think, yeah, that idea of balance, of balancing out your professional life and your friends and the things you do for fun in a more, yeah, in a, in a better way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Cause that's definitely a thing that's changed. So I have a, set of questions I like to ask every guest called the fun five. So mm-hmm. first though, before we do that, do you, we kind of just did that, but do you have any advice or mantra you would like to share or was it really just balance? I guess like related to that. Yes, surely just, just uh, uh, balance, but also like another two other things that I say, it depends pretty much on what you do, but related to the things I do, like asking people for things. And is I, I need to tell it, to myself asking people for things the the worst that can happen is that they will say no the best that can happen is that uh, a wonderful uh collaboration will start so just ask people for things because nothing bad will come out of it and the other thing this is more related to comedy (laughs) which is again something i need to tell myself and and i think i learned by doing my podcast with one of the guests is that no one will remember your worst worst gig yeah so it doesn't matter if you bomb as long as you are learning from it Mm. yeah i agree just do it i think it's my mantra just do it (laughs) yes if nike's listening just we're here yes (laughs) (laughs) um all right so what's the oldest t-shirt you have and still wear I don't know if it's the oldest t-shirt, but I did get stuck in Portugal in the first lockdown because I was visiting my parents and I ran out of clothing. So I I didn't run out of clothing. I just got bored with like the suitcase I had brought for a week that I had to make last for two months. And I started wearing my teenager clothing again. And I have a little t-shirt 
it's not teenager because I used to wear that at uni. Uh, but I have a pink t-shirt with a pig on it that has, wears a cape and he's super pig. So yeah, that's, I nice. like it. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Yeah. It's always fun to discover the old clothes at your parents' yeah. house, right? So one thing that people have commented is that like every day is like Groundhog's Day during the pandemic. Mm-hmm. We're all doing the same thing. So, um, if you had a song that would play on your alarm clock every morning, because every day is the same, what song would it be? I think I needed to wake up to, because like, I wouldn't wake up to my favorite song, because it's not happy enough, and you should start your day with a happy song. Um, I don't know. Again, I think I would get bored with this uh, very fast, but I was just thinking of this song. I used to listen to as a kid, which is a Brazilian Brazilian song, which is called Lambada, and it's a very like inappropriate song for yeah, kids to listen to. Dance, right? <laughs> yes, <laughs> uh, and I'm sure I'd get like crazy after like five days of waking up to it. But yes, it's fun and energetic. So yeah, All right, cool. All right, um, coffee or tea or neither? Coffee. <laughs> I also drink tea, but coffee for sure, if I had to choose between the two. When was like a time you laughed so hard you cried or just couldn't stop? Or is there something that makes you just kind of do that, like when you think of it? I think there's nothing that makes me laugh uncontrollably. Maybe people. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I don't know. I have like these uh, two friends that I share a WhatsApp WhatsApp group with, uh, Champagne and Maddie Hunter, who like I laugh a lot about the text exchange. Uh, So that's what comes to mind. I don't know. Like I remember my sister getting those uncontrollable laughter, that uncontrollable laughter that makes you cry. I don't remember. Uh, having that ever but yeah my friends make me laugh (laughs) that's great okay and who inspires you right now i'm going to say again repeat one of those two friends champagne because he does like a lot of things he uh is always learning new things is always working and trying to support other people like it doesn't always work for his own um like advancement it try it truly tries to help people and to help people be better at um doing what they want to do and achieving the things that they want to achieve so yeah that inspires me to also do it and do better and do more that's awesome that's it's good to have friends like that that you appreciate too um okay so is there anything you want to promote or that you want people to look up after they hear this uh, yes, my podcast, Dowdy, which is like the only thing I'm regularly doing. I'm trying to, I will attempt to do more things on TikTok. I have like ideas for TikTok. I have two videos now there. One of them, a 16 year old told me I wasn't funny and that hurt, but I will <laughs> go back to TikTok. <laughs> um yeah, that's what I want to promote now. But if you follow me at, at Mariana's Beats on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok, you will find my other projects that I'm sure will pop up at some point in the future. All right. Awesome. Well, it was a lot of fun chatting. So thanks so much for taking the time to meet with me. Thank you so much for inviting me. Thanks for joining me this week. You can find out more about our guest in the show notes. 
The music you're probably moving to by now is by Joe Mafia. Find him on Spotify. That's Joe, M-A-F-F-I-A. And Rob Meggie is responsible for our visual design. You can find him online by searching for Rob, M-E-T-K-E. Thanks, Rob. Let us know who you'd like to hear from or about your own experiences defining yourself outside of work at More Than Work Pod on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. Give us a follow. Or visit our website at RobbiaSaid.com. Subscribe on Spotify, Apple, or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening to More Than Work. We'll be back next week with another guest. In the meantime, while being kind to others, don't forget to be kind to yourself. Thank you.